You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen production. to share is super duper important because how are you going to live how are you going to live how are you going to do this i mean it sounds nice but let's get real that's what we're going to talk about right now cool right on praise god i just am really stoked that like god prepared the way for this army the way for this movement he didn't expect you to just like show up and it's like boy it sure would be nice if there was support figure it out right you know what i mean like uh he he had a guy in byron spradlin who 40 years ago started saying there needs to be a structure that's crazy when you think about it so that like when the rain started falling there'd be a boat right you know i mean that's the thing i mean it's nuts just to think about all these people and their experience and the timing uh being perfect for you to emerge that's exciting so so let's do the 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 journal of the journey hey that's cool the journal of the journey i'm gonna practice that and get better over the years the first thing we are warriors right second thing if we're gonna give our music to christ we have to give our lives to christ right okay i'm tired after that (laughs) heart surgery remodeling Going to the hidden places, right? The, not, not just building another persona, not just giving God our lives on the surface, but really digging down deep and giving him everything, the hidden things, the secret things. And then community, fellowship, not going forward alone. And if we're going to go forward, having the right perspective. I, I want to say law on that for just a second, because I think that you know, we're saying so much in such a short amount of time, it would be really easy for you to hear that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right focus, gotcha. Everything is about this focus thing. Everything's about that. See, like, how does bride dressed in black go into bars, play in bars, and somehow be a light for Christ in a place that doesn't want to hear it? How do you not get sucked into just being a bar band, right? Because there are a lot of people that have done that with good intentions, with the same kind of vision, same kind of passion. How does that happen? How have you maintained you've maintained a focus. Because at any moment, you could get caught up in like, you know, being a good bar band. I mean, you have to be able to have that like discipline to, you know, be appealing for the setting that God has put you in, you know, to not just half-ass it because all you care about your message. Boy, the language of the people up on this stage has been a bad influence on me. And he's not gonna help. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. 
I haven't said anything. That's not permission. No, it's a teaser. I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm building up a persona for, anyways, all right. So uh, focus is so important because you have to be able to have the discipline to work on that without forgetting what it's really about. Making sure that that work doesn't change your focus. That's why it's okay to ask God to help you to figure out ways to support this ministry, right? To, to uh, you know, whether it's selling CDs or, but to never make that the point. If all you are is a machine that raises sponsors, and there are lots of ministries out there that do that, if that's all you are, you're not a ministry anymore. It turns out you're not serving the right master, right? So focus, because I don't think people start with that endeavor. The Christian music industry didn't start with a bunch of guys going, how do we just market the gospel? If it did turn into just that, which I would argue there's a case to be made that says it did for a while. Hopefully it's changing. If it did turn into just that, it happened over time when people lost their focus. So when we talk about focus, critically important. Biblical worldview, vitally important. When, when, when Chris said, I'll give you a book, if you don't leave with a book, why wouldn't you leave with a book? So focus, right? Have the right perspective, okay? So then after Pastor Chris, after talking about having the right perspective, somebody help me out because I got all carried away about focus. Community and fellowship, I had it backwards. Okay, all right. And then after that, be deliberate, be deliberate from the stage. Love your audience. You know, you know what's going to compel you to be deliberate? Loving your audience. If you don't love your audience, it's too much work. You just won't do it. I mean, you'll be like, I'd rather just get up here and rock. Who cares if they get it? I mean, nobody says that. Remember when I said to you, you know, people say, I don't care if they hear it or not. Nobody says that. But honestly, that's what you're saying when you put a choir in a skate park and somebody comes up to you and says, why did you put a choir in a skate park? You go, well, brother, it's, you know, it's worship and that's going to move things in the spirit. Okay, but what are you trying to communicate? That God loves them. They didn't hear that. They left flipping you off and throwing glass bottles. Well, brother, that's a response. I'm not responsible for that. My job here is I said, I go, so what's the deal? Well, I felt the spirit, but you weren't here for you. Well, I guess the Lord can use that. Or you just didn't care. That's what was revealed. You saw them throw a bottle at you and leave flipping you off. They weren't around for the gospel presentation. And you said, don't let the door hit you. You don't care. You don't love your audience. So if you don't love your audience, you won't be deliberate. We can say be deliberate all we want. Love your audience, right? After Tom spoke, we brought up, was that when Larry came up? <laughs> no, Chad, right? Vision. Yeah, Chad Johnson with vision. I'm tired. I'm going without any notes. And then after Chad talking about finding God's vision for your ministry, Larry said, how do we start? How do we build a plan for this? Man, I thought what Larry shared was awesome. I don't know how he packed so much great information in such a short time. It was awesome. So now, now we answer the million-dollar question. Over the past few years, as we've explored these issues with a rising army of warriors, we've seen a trend. Artists tell us that they're responding to what God's speaking they want to accept the invitation he extends to be a part of his plan and his purpose for the world to be warriors. This is what it looks like. An artist comes up to me with tears in his eyes and says, I want to do this. I want to do this. I wish I could. I wish I could. But I have responsibilities. And I'm supposed to be a good steward which I have translated to mean that when I pay off my mortgage, when I get a raise, 
when I save up at least $5,000 in an account as a safety net because that's the good steward thing to do, then I'll go. I mean, Ted, this all sounds nice, and I love your passion. Brother, you're the guy. You're the guy with the faith. <laughs> but isn't it all so impractical? I mean, honestly, Ted, I love you, man, but you need to think about this. Aren't you just being reckless? You are dangerous. That's what they say. Say, Ted, if I did what you told me to, how would I live? Surely take no thought for what you'll eat, sleep, wear. Surely take no thought isn't literal. Surely it means keep it in balance. Surely there's some truth to my butterfly friend. There must be a program, Ted. We've got to find a way. I had a guy, a very good friend of mine, a mentor who I love. And this, he wasn't saying what it'll sound like he was saying, but I thought his statement sounded good. He says, we've got to find a way to get these guys paid. And our heart in that is, yeah, we want your needs to be met. But he wasn't the first person to say that to me. Come on, Ted. What's the program? Ask the Lord, Ted, to give you a program for these artists. What's the checklist, the model? And I, sold the, I, t I told the Lord, I want a method. I told him, you know, say, God, you have me say all this stuff to these artists, and I end up looking like an idealist at best and an idiot at worst for suggesting that the text of Scripture means what it says. Take no thought? Come on, man, really? I had an artist say to me once, you know, brother, he said, just take the sandals on your back. But brother, I don't know if you didn't notice, we ain't walking from city to city. We have a car and it takes gasoline, brother. Times change. That was for then. Take no thought. You know, I'm a reasonable man. Surprise. <laughs> I'm aware of the conflict. I'm vitally aware of the tension. And you would think that God would have been aware, don't you? I mean, what's the deal? Where's the qualifier? Why take no thought? I mean, it'd be clear if he would have just said, you know, don't take too much thought. Life's not about that. So, you know, be careful. Keep, keep it in balance, right? Don't take too much thought about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Don't forget to give some thought to the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, give a lot of thought to the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, make it the most important thought. But take no thought. Why not both, anyway? Why not think about the kingdom of God, make that the big thought, but have a little thought. A little thought, just a little thought, in balance, you know? Maybe, you know, this is the faith, and there's a tiny little hand on this side. You know? And maybe you can't even see it, but it's pushing the other. It's just a little thought. God, I'm just going to be reasonable. I mean, Lord, you gave me a brain. I've heard this. You gave me a brain. Why not both? Why not? Yes, you know, think about the details. I mean, you got to live after all. But think about the kingdom of God too. Remember both. That's what I'm saying to God. I said, God, I want you to show me a program I can share with the artist so they can go out and follow the calling he's placed. I'm tired of being called dangerous by the industry and artist critics. Kind of hurts sometimes. Feels a lot like when I was back in private school. Hmm. I've prayed often asking God for the brilliant plan that will hook you all up with everything you need. After all, if you're going to go, you've got to be free, right? 
I froze in my prayers thinking that thought. It was like all of a sudden I was like, did I just think that? God's like, yeah, pause and reflect. I wonder how many artists have not gone ever because the cost of living never lets up. The bills never seem to stop. Just surviving, I'm not even talking about thriving. I'm not even talking about living large. Just surviving comes at a price, and we live in a world that runs on money to live, right? One man said to me, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Thought he was really clever. <laughs> Try paying the landlord with your faith. <laughs> Call me pastor, because he was a pastor. Made me mad, but it's a dilemma. After all, there will always be a landlord. There will always be a utility bill, a payment that must be made. It's relentless. It's relentless. I've watched my friends reach for the magic moment when they will catch up with the demand of the cost of living so they can go out freed up to follow their calling. By and large, that moment never comes. Old bills are replaced by new ones. Unexpected expenses that just seem to come with living. And as time goes by, the calling, or the sense of it anyway, fades. Till you end up coming up to a guy like me, and I can't count the times this has happened, and saying, I remember when I sensed a calling too. I remember that. And the bills never stopped. And the demands just kept coming, and it kept me from going. And I wished I had gone when I still could. That's not freedom. You know that phrase, I don't serve the money, I make the money serve me. Talked about that earlier. Sounds great. Just always seems to be said, at least when I've talked to people, by someone chasing the money. In the end, it always seems to be the other way around. You chase the money and somehow you end up going, wait a minute. How am I serving money? <laughs> the money's supposed to serve me. At least that's how it seemed to me. I wonder if that's why Jesus made such a big deal about not being able to serve two masters. It's like he knew that money seems to often find a way to master us, not the other way around. So what's the answer? That's what I asked God to show me. You know what he said? What if the answer's right there in plain sight? Not hidden at all, but stated plainly. What if Jesus really means take no thought? What if the only formula really is seek first the kingdom of God? These things will be added. Maybe you're like me, if I'm honest. In my flesh, standing in front of you, knowing how that makes me sound, look, I can get all passionate and it will move many people. And most of you will come up to me and go, that was really good, I liked a lot of what you had to say. You don't even need to tell me the part you didn't like. I already know, because some artists have. You know, I'm just giving you something to think about. You're the faith guy. <laughs> So I'm not a big fan of this strategy, Lord. Uh, I already had that. I already knew that part. I'm asking for a program. <laughs> I 
There is way too much uncertainty in what you're saying, Lord. And I'm not a fan of uncertainty. I know the artists are not a fan of uncertainty. I'd prefer an advance, a guaranteed paycheck and payday, or at the very least, a company credit card or expense account with the bills being sent to God. That'd be nice. At least then I would know what I have to work with. At least then I'd be responsible. At least then my family and friends wouldn't think I was a deadbeat. I really feel like I'd be less of a burden to God that way, too. Ooh, lean in. I'm reading this because when God gave this to me to speak, I wrote it down, and then I read it back, and I was like, uh, okay. I really feel like I would be less of a burden to God that way. Do you relate? Know what I mean? If I listen to many of the pastors I've heard from over the years, God would be happier with me if I was a little bit more of a take-charge, responsible person, right? A good steward, right? After all, God helps those who help themselves, right? That's in Scripture somewhere. No. I just... God digs, God digs strong, self-reliant types, right? They make the best servants, yeah? You don't have to worry about them messing up or needing help. God, it's cool. If I need your help for a while and you rescued me, that was cool. But it's all good now. I've got this. Look at how fixed I am. You can go help someone else now. I'm all better. I promise I learned my lesson. I won't blow it again. You'll be so proud of me because I won't need you anymore. Something's starting to stink. Here's the truth. We don't like living by faith because that makes us dependent. And we don't want to be dependent because we want to be in control. And we want to be in control because we're rebellious. That's the truth of it. Yeah, Lord, I know the men of God in the Bible often had no visible means of support. I know that prophets ate food delivered by the birds. Discipled pulled coins from fishes' mouths. The Son of Man, Jesus, had no place to lay his head. But that was then. They didn't know what we know. They didn't have the systems we do. It's almost like they weren't good stewards, at least by our standards. And you don't move like that anymore. Or at least you haven't for me. Granted, I would never put myself in the position where I needed you to. If I did ever find myself there, I would call it a failure. I would do all I could to make sure it never happened again. Even if you did miraculously provide for me. Somehow... Somehow I've come to believe, perhaps we've come to believe, that you, God, resent helping me. That your goal for me is that I don't need your rescue anymore. That your desire is that I would be sanctified to the point of self-reliance. What is this gospel of independence that we have bought into as the modern church? And for all of our efforts to pursue this lie, are we ever really free through this? Yes? Oh, yeah. 
then why has money or a lack kept us from following the calling that keeps us awake at night, that thunders in us every time we spend a fleeting moment in the presence of God? Who are we really serving when it's all said and done? Here's a hint. It's not us. Turns out we're not really independent after all. But it might not be God we're serving either. I'm not a theologian, but I've come to suspect there is a basic struggle that seems to boil down to a conscious choice between these two masters, God or money. It's funny that it's not God or romance, God or fame, God or popularity. It's God or money. You will not be able to serve both. You will love one and you will hate the other. It seems to me that anything less than complete dependence on God for our every need really turns out to be rebellion from and eventually rejection of Him. Yet everything in our nature pulls us away from the lack of control, that complete surrender of dependence on ourselves to dependence in God. Living by faith, if it really is the thing that makes the difference between who we serve. And I want you to think about that. We serve the one we're dependent on. That's who we serve. And in that light, living by faith may very well be not just a way to do ministry. Not just a really good point at a conference like this one. Could it be that living by faith is the essence of the decision we make, whether he is really Lord of our life? Could it be that living by faith may be very well the primal struggle our walk with God all comes down to? In that light, may I suggest it's possible that this take-no-thought thing may truly be the only model we can follow that leads us anywhere but rebellion. Let me say that again. Is it possible that anything other than taking no thought and depending completely on Him will only lead us to rebellion? Anything other than that? God said this to me as I wrote these notes. Ted, it's actually about submission more than provision. I provide and you trust, but it takes submission. And that's what you're really fighting. That's what's making you mad when we talk about going out and doing this. You think it's so irrational. Me too. Who will you serve? We want a program and a plan we can see, we can map, we can approve, we can manipulate, we can control. But faith requires us to surrender control. And that is the true struggle within us. If we're going to be warriors, we have to go over the edge. We have to take the plunge. What a reckless leap. What a surrender. And if we're going to be warriors, we have to surrender. I asked Alan to come up here. He's been standing here wondering when I was going to get to him. But Alan, Alan's my brother, came on the tour as an artist who had seen a lot of things. Look, this isn't bragging about a guy to make him feel good, and he would not do it because he's a humble guy. Honestly, Alan has seen significant success in, 
according to what most artists would consider success. He's in the Encyclopedia of Christian Music twice. He's called the father of alternative Christian music. He's an influence to bands like as well as Christian bands that you might be more familiar with, like that guy who'd been to the top comes on the extreme tour and sleeps on floors. I'm not sure he knew that was what he was getting into at first. I don't know. We'll let him tell you. But that experience from a person who had been there and had paid his dues was beyond that. You ever felt like, when are we going to get to the level where we don't have to do this anymore? I know a lot of bands who say, we did that for a while. But we have families. Like God didn't know. Oh, oh, you have families. I only provide for single people. I'm sorry. <laughs> Clearly you have priorities. <laughs> Alan came on the tour and uh, I didn't know what to expect. My experience with established artists was that they were D-bags. D stands for dumb. <laughs> I mean, my experience was that all they were going to do was tell me what an idiot I was. They'd be like, when it comes to faith. <laughs> and uh, Gabe from Rock and Roll Worship Circus called me up and he says, he goes, I know a guy who's got to be on the extreme tour. His name's Alan Aguirre. Have you heard of him? I actually thought, I've heard of an Alan Aguirre, but it can't be him, because the Alan Aguirre I've heard of would never come on the extreme tour. I read about him when I was a Christian rock groupie, memorizing sections of CCM for God knows what reason. I had a high reading comprehension level. I was like, <laughs> I might have been obsessed, but we'll pretend I, did, I wasn't. <laughs> Turned out it was that Alan Aguirre. This man came on the tour. I was afraid he'd strut in and ask where his hotel room was and where was the limo. <laughs> that doesn't happen on Extreme Tour. <laughs> and instead he showed up and dove in and slept on floors, ate potluck, got a set cut. <laughs> That's still happening, huh? <laughs> he humbled himself. Alan, I asked you to come up here. You have so much you could share, honestly. There's no possible way. You could take the mic for the entire thing. And from your experience, there would be lots of content that would be valuable for these artists. They need to come and like talk to you, and even if they don't want to hear it, if you get a mentoring session with Alan, brace yourself, okay? He's not there to like blow smoke up your toga, Sammy says it. Sammy would be gentler. All right. He's going like and it isn't that he's mad at you, and it's not that he's trying to discourage you. It's that you're not used to people caring about your vision and your ministry so much that they challenge you. And it's a pretty unsettling thing when somebody cares more about your vision than you did. That's what's really bugging you. You just don't know it. So, Alan, you want to get a mentoring session from him. But I asked you up here to talk about, look, everything I just said, take no thought. Going out, you did it. You had, you had the, like, you went out and played, you know, and got the honorariums and, you, and, and, you know, had the record deals. And you did that thing, it, you know, with all the trappings or whatever. And then you come and do this extreme tour thing. I mean, you're here right now, but is that sympathy? I mean, does this work? Am I really, is this really something these guys could do? Or is this just some stupid, reckless thing that, you know, Ted's got a lot of neat things to say, but just push mute when he starts talking about faith. Uh, share your story. I mean, does this work? You think you're serving God if you're not doing that. And that's what they've told you. If you don't seek first the kingdom of God, if you don't do what Ted just said, 
count your life as nothing. You're really not doing what it tells you to do. Plain and simply, it tells you to do this. Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And Peter says, no, no. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then the next verse actually tells us what that means. You're not thinking with God's thoughts, with his frame of mind. You're thinking with your practical reasoning. And he calls that demonic. So when you worry about your bills and your rent or your mortgage or your car or food or transportation, you're thinking about tomorrow or how I'm going to feed myself or how I'm going to fill in the blank. He says that's demonic. I dare you to prove me wrong. It's in, the, it's in your text. When you seek for the kingdom of God and its righteousness, he says these things, what things? Clothing, food, provision, sustenance will be taken care of. But we don't believe that, otherwise you'd be doing it. Because you, we really don't believe what we say we believe. Otherwise we would be functioning in that realm. And then what does that give us? Why did he send them out without a purse or a coat? Spiritual authority. Because it says, when you come into a home, present your peace to them. If they receive it, leave it there. If they don't, take your peace back. Peace is a weapon. Right? The God of peace does what to Satan under our feet? It's a weapon. See? And we carry these atmospheres. I walk into a new place. I present my peace to them, my shalom. If they receive it, good. If they don't, take it back, it says. When they receive it, see, I've now been given the spiritual authority. Nature itself has to provide for me. You guys think I'm whacked out right now. Here's what we don't understand. Jesus tells us to do something. We, if we even heard that, always have an excuse, and it's usually we don't have enough zeros in our bank account. That's what we tell them. Because God would never require you to do something that's beyond your means, really. Wow. Can I get in on that? Because that's, that, that sounds awesome. See? And so he tells you to, to do something, and then we go, we, right? What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of two instances. And the second one, he was actually punking the disciples, the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 5,000, he says, they were supposed to be going on R&R with Jesus, private time with Jesus. They just went on their first little trip. They came back. They're they excited. Even the demons are afraid of us. And he goes, well, let's get in the boat, and we're going to go somewhere. And they, the throng of humanity follows them. And they say, hey, why don't you call it, Jesus? It's getting late. These guys can go to the neighboring villages around the Galil, the Galilee. They can find a place to sleep, find something to eat. And he says, you feed them. And they're like, we don't have the money to pay for all these people. Read your text. The 4,000, they literally say that. It would cost too much money to do that. We don't have it. They were being supported by widows and women. Did you know that? It says so in the text. We don't have the money to do what you're telling us to do, Jesus. <laughs> Has anybody said that? <laughs> Come on. I know you have. I, I can't pay my bills, Lord. How can I give to this ministry? How can I pay my tithe? <laughs> wow. Okay, so he says, well, 
if we're listening, we'll hear the next question. Most of us don't because we, we zone them out. God would not ask me to do something I can't afford to do. He says, what resources do you have? Well, I've got, we've got these five loaves and these two fishes. He takes it. He makes a baruch. He blesses it, gives it back to them, and tells them to do what he already told them to do. And at some point, oh, crap, this is working. <laughs> Why? They're functioning with the substance of creation, and they're creating something out of nothing. Deuteronomy 8.18. When you're fat and, and healthy and content and complacent in the land, don't forget it's, it is I that gives you the power to create wealth. The power, the word power in the Hebrew means lizard. And you break that down, it means chameleon. I give you the chameleon blessing to create wealth. The word create or make is the same word used in Genesis. Let us make or create man in our own image. Asa, to create from nothing, something out of nothing. Wealth. So he gives us the chameleon-like ability to create wealth, something out of nothing. What do chameleons do? They adapt to any economy, any environment, any situation, any atmosphere, and they create the resources necessary for their own success. It's the Mechizedek blessing that was translated to Abraham, which was transferred to Isaac, who went to the land of famine. Instead of where he wanted to go, the Lord said, no, go to the land of famine, and he does. And it's the only place in Scripture that I know of that says he reaped a hundredfold in the land of famine. Communion-like ability to create his own resources as a chameleon. It's a spiritual transference. It's the phrase Jesus used to describe himself in two parables regarding stewardship. And it's the word spoken over Israel. And if, as, if Christianity could understand that they are exactly like Israel, we might finally figure this thing out. And what is that phrase? Reap where you don't sow and gather where you don't lay seed. That was the word spoken over Israel. When you go into the land, you're going to reap where you don't sow. You will gather where you don't lay seed. But you're still trying to pick up manna in the desert. I'm on the other side of the Jordan. And Jesus said he is a master that reaps where he doesn't sow, gathers where he doesn't lay seed. And two parables on the talents and the minas regarding stewardship. So... Go do whatever he's telling you to do. I can't do it. I don't have the resources necessary. What resources do you have? He takes them. He blesses them. And then he gives you, when you choose to do God's will, what's God's will? Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about provision or money. Don't do that. Serve me. I am your provision. I am your high tower. And when we choose to do his will, he provides us with the resources necessary to accomplish his will. He's a good Abba. You ask him for bread, he won't give you a rock. Alan, I, I, I want you, know? you to break down for them because you're giving us a lot of meat. So, break, but, break what down? Okay, here's, 
Share with them, share with them from your life, because you did this. Well, did, you, you didn't like, like you didn't just wake up, you know, no. you got saved, and this was in your head, like, and you just went and did it from there. Well, like, you, you, you experienced going and doing this. Talk to them about the faithfulness of God. You have from, to from your testimony. You have to at some point come to the realization that, you know, you have to come to the realization and the conviction of your own salvation. Eventually, you have to eventually come to the point where it's like I have to start putting this stuff called this word into action. Yes. In a practical manner. That's good. Not deferring to your practical reasoning, but how do we serve the Lord, the practical application of Scripture in your life? How do we do that? Well, I don't have enough money to pay my bills this month. Do you freak out? Do you stress? Do you become anxious? Do you start freaking out on your significant other? or No. <laughs> start there. You know... God knows that you have to pay your bills. You have to be a good steward. and You have to just, it's all right here, see. Everything's here. You can't make a decision to sin without it going through here first. It's not like, oops, I, I'm sinning and I didn't, it wasn't conscious of it. No one, I have never sinned without consciously knowing I was about to go do that. I've told myself I didn't know. <laughs> but I, Manny was like, la, 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 la. <laughs> so it's all here, Right? I'm going to choose a bad thought and dwell on it and act on it and actually use one of my body members to commit that sin, whatever it might be. In the same way, the positive stuff, God's word, are you eating it? Probably not. You just skim through it. You got to eat the word. Eat it. You eat it right here. He says not to worry about it. I'm being faithful. I have a job. I'm tithing. I'm giving offerings. How many times does he test us? Because that's all this is about is a test. Are you going, everything is designed to solicit a response of obedience and trust. Everything. Adam, this is all yours. Just don't touch that. <laughs> so it's all here. So how do we practically do it? This is how we practically do it. One, don't freak out. Don't be anxious. Pray. Fast. What a concept. Fast. Have a good attitude. I don't have the money to do this, but you told me to do it, and I'm going to go do it. That's about the most practical thing I've ever done. Okay, go do this tour on this, in this part of the country, but I don't have the means to do so. This is exactly what happened. Go to Southern, Tell them. Go to Southern California with your band. I don't have anything booked. I just booked the East Coast, and you're telling me not to go to the East Coast, and I've got like three weeks' worth of shows. Yeah, I don't want you to go to the East Coast. Oops. Go to the West Coast instead. Okay, sorry, I have to cancel these shows because I fear God, not you, Mr. Promoter, and whether I ever play your venue again. And so go to the West Coast, go to Southern California, and wait on me to tell you what to do next. You want me to take 11 people in a tour bus across the country. You know how much that's going to cost? And to do what? Wait on you. Well, I guess that's what a prophetic worship band should do. So that's what we do. And we broke down every, like, 60 miles down the road. <laughs> it's documented in HM Magazine online. They published my Twitter and Facebook feeds because of the, it was amazing what was happening. Because we told ourselves, this is what you tell yourself. If I break down for whatever reason, first, if my steps are ordered and I'm actually on this tour because I'm supposed to be on this tour or on, en route to this city because I'm really supposed to because God really said it, not just because you made this up, and you break down, he knows that, and there's a reason why you would break down right there, however you broke down. And so don't freak out and go, okay, God, 
what would you have me do right now? Where's my appointment? That, that's a whole different reality here. And if, this, and if it's a different reality here, it's a different reality here, and it's a different reality here. Spiritual mindedness versus practical reasoning. Holy, oh, my tire's flat or whatever. This is going to cost me $450. It's a tour bus. It's not a van. We get to LA. What are we supposed to do, Father? Oh, you want us at the Jimmy Kimmel show and they're going to interview us because we all look really weird because we dress like a bunch of 1800s, whatever, um, steampunkers or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. What? There's some Ethiopian Jews right here that I can bless. Wow. I'm in Hollywood. There's a nursing home right here that somebody says we can come play. And they're wheeling in people on beds and in chairs. And they're manifesting. And we're singing them and telling them that they're not forgotten. That has nothing to do with me my agenda to sell well I don't even sell records you can have it for whatever you want to pay this is how you practically do it you do what he tells you to do just do what he tells you to do be obedient otherwise you will die in disobedience and it has nothing to do with your music it has nothing to do with your band it has to do with your obedience to the father because this is what this is about. It's about obedience. It's not how much money you have or how much you don't have. Be obedient. Feed these people. Remember I said he punked them? Look at what it says three chapters later. He's preaching and he's like, hmm, I wonder how we could feed these people. And they took the bait and they went, oh, we don't have the means. And he's like, oh, God, I'm leaving in about in less than a few months and they still don't get it. How do we know that? He's telling them about the parable about the leaven and they're like, oh crap, he's pissed because we don't have bread. <laughs> and he goes, and he knows this and he goes, how could I be possibly talking about bread? We just fed 4,000 with nothing. We just fed five. He's pulling his dreadlocks out. I'm about to die and they think I'm talking about bread. Practical reasoning is demonic. Don't do it. I don't have the means to play or to minister or to obey. I don't have the practical means to obey Father God. That's what you're saying. Whether you think you're saying that or not doesn't matter. Whether you think you're saying it or not, they heard that. They Alan, I want to I want to say something there because this just came to me. It's almost like we're saying in that case we're saying God, I would obey you, but money won't let me. <laughs> Isn't that what we tell them? I'm sorry, I have another master. That's what we're telling him all the time. All the time. I know this. Why? I've seen it. I've seen it forever around me. You don't even have to be a band. You're a husband. You're a single mom. Money, 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 money. I don't have the money, 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 money. You know, Jesus talks a lot about money. But we won't listen. How many have heard the teaching from a pulpit about the shrewd manager? One. Okay, less than 10%. Why? Because no one likes that parable. Why? Because of what Jesus says the parable means. What is the meaning? If the children of light would take a lesson from the world when it comes to business and being shrewd in business, they'd have some money. They're not going to tell you that because they, can't, they don't know how to disciple that. 
well, they don't know how to disciple. But they can't explain that to you. Because see, if you want to make $50,000 a year and you're hanging out with people that are making $25,000 a year, they can't help you. They can't help you make that money, can they? No. I want to make, for an example, $50,000 a year. Do I hang out with people that make $25,000 a year? No, they can't tell me anything. So I hang out with people that make $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year. Why? Because they can show me how to make $50,000 a year. Does Jesus know this? Absolutely. That's what he taught us. That's what he teaches. So if I want to be a son of God, do I hang out with people that go to church? No. I hang out with mighty men and women of God because they can teach me how to be a son of God. <laughs> and I said that probably the nicest way I could possibly say that, and I'm very proud of myself. I am so proud of you as well, Alan. This has been brilliant. <laughs> okay. Do you under, are you understanding this concept? What does Paul say? By the what? We're transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Why? Because that's where all the action is. That's where all the action is. And you're tempted by the lust of your own flesh, and it's going to start here. So we retrain our mind so that we can train our bodies to function properly and our emotions. You can't do that. Well, then this is a lie. This is an absolute lie. I can't stop sinning. It's impossible. The Bible says, no, it doesn't. Christianity told you that. Go and sin no more. Be perfect. Be holy. He didn't say that because he's got nothing else to say. He meant it. I have the means to overcome any failure. I just have to choose not to go do that thing that I shouldn't do that will defile either my eyes, my mind, my ears, my hands, my body, my temple. We're talking sin. It's all right here. Renewing of our mind so that we can control this. Real quick, because this is the key. Yeah, we're out of time, but go. Joshua chapter 5. Right before they can go into Jericho, they have to be circumcised on Gilgal. Why? Because the children of promise weren't circumcised. There was no circumcision in the desert. Right? All the children of promise died. No, they were killed by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> so he has to circumcise them. And he says, with this circumcision, I remove, I roll off, Gilgal, the stigma of Egypt off your back. What was the stigma of Egypt? Slavery. Slaves don't have inheritance. Circumcision, roll off the slavery. Now you are what? My sons and my kings and priests, you have inheritance in the land. We think like Egyptian slaves. We have an Egyptian slave That's mentality. Good all day long and we've converted our theology and our doctrine to accommodate it no you're supposed to be a king and a priest right you're not an egyptian slave so stop practical reasoning function as a king and priest with authority inheritance in the land with the power to create wealth out of nothing that's our portion to reap where we don't sow and together where we only seed Jesus said so. Mm, that's good. Right on. Thank you, Alan. As you can gather, Alan has a lot that you could learn that God has shown him.